Hey there, welcome to Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. I feel like an apt paraphrase of a quote is that one about when a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil, the hurricane is eventually felt around the world, or something like that. It's fall, but it's not like a normal fall. I don't actually know if there's such a thing as a normal fall, or for that matter, a normal spring, summer, or winter anymore either. When I was little, I remember there being distinct seasons. Spring was rain and gumboots, summer was running through the sprinkler and the odd foray into summer thunderstorm mud puddles, fall would come and that nip in the air generally hit around the first day of school. This year, it was 31 degrees and sunny and clear. A week later, it was more seasonable, but that's not normal. Winter used to be predictable. Snow, the odd blizzard, average of minus 20 or so, and in southern Alberta, the inevitable Chinook. The snow was the thing that was, from the perspective of a child, the best part of winter. It filled the ditches, stayed put for the better part of the winter, and gradually receded as spring came. Maybe not in like a lion, out like a lamb, but sometime well after the wretched groundhog either saw his shadow or didn't. Not that that made a difference one way or the other. Shadow, no shadow. Winter was always here to stay till well into April. And that was always something of a joke to me. He was clearly not from Canada, or at least not the prairie provinces anyway. In any event, seasons used to be seasons. And with spring would come robins. The sound waking you up earlier and earlier as the days got brighter sooner. Then with the rains that would generally come, you would see them scoping out the worms. And when the rain really came down and the worms had to come to the surface to keep from drowning, it seemed like a veritable robin smorgasbord. This year, even though we had a good amount of late spring rain, I saw only a handful of worms. There were years when Daphne would have us all on high alert as we walked Luna to admonish us to watch where we were walking to avoid squishing the worms. This year, you would have been hard pressed to deliberately find and step on one. So the birds were hungry, the spring was late, the pollinators never really arrived, so the songbirds, who had been having a rough go of it as it was, really struggled. I recall only one morning when I heard a robin at 4.30 instead of a magpie or a crow at 5. And that's the other thing. What is with the magpies and crows? There were many, many days that the trees were darkened by the sheer number of crows sitting in them, squawking and looking ominous. We once counted 60-plus magpies and another time easy 60-plus crows in the field by the ravine by the ball diamonds. That's not normal. There's no competition, they have no predators other than maybe owls, but I haven't honestly seen any of those, though that's not super surprising as I don't generally keep the same hours as they do. And we've tried to attract birds by putting up feeders, but all that seems to do is increase the already ballooning squirrel population. Poor Luna is driven to distraction by the crazy number of squirrels that are running around the big pine tree in our front yard and seemingly in every tree along our walking routes. They're everywhere. And while I do see the odd squirrel carcass in the road, their numbers don't seem to be dwindling. You would think that with the number of cats that are prowling around that some of them would end up going up to that great acorn pile in the sky, but nope, there seems to be a gajillion of them. We also put up a bat house to help deal with the mosquitoes, but those have surprisingly not been that bad either considering the lackadaisical attitude the city seems to have towards them and the waffling that seems to happen every year, spray, don't spray. The dragonflies have historically done a great job eating them by the thousands, but this year the dragonfly number also seemed significantly diminished. 
Usually we would see great numbers of them careening along the path, but not so much this year. Is it a chicken or the egg conundrum? Not that many mosquitoes, so not too many dragonflies? Or is it another symptom? When the summer finally arrived and with its sweltering temperatures and no rain to speak of, the gardens showed the telltale sign of the lack of pollinators. While the zucchini took over the side garden, there were four little zucchinis to show for all of those efforts. Quite a few blossoms, but none that turned to fruit, aka squash. Had I known, I would have made zucchini fritters or stuffed zucchini flowers, but I had held out some hope that magical creatures would come in the night and say, let there be zucchini. The peppers were a bust, the tomatoes marginal at best. There was not a single pumpkin or melon. What's weird though, is that the Evans cherries looked great in all the yards where I know there's Evans cherries trees. The apple harvests, crab or otherwise looked pretty reasonable. And the two houses along the walking routes that we do, where I know that there are plums, seem to have had a real bounty. So there were some pollinators doing their thing, or maybe that was from the wind, but it was just weird, or maybe they were coming at different times, I don't know. The garlic and the onions were good, first time lucky maybe, but overall, garden-wise, things were super unpredictable. My coworker's husband does work with the farmers, soil sampling and so on, and he said that it was going to be a really good crop this year, which is amazing to me considering how weird the weather was. I guess it speaks to all the great work being done by the folks over at Ailes and Olds College with their work in creating better, more resistant crop varieties of everything from canola to wheat to barley and beyond. So thank goodness for those small miracles, I guess. But then today I heard that the farmers were actually contemplating not harvesting because it was going to cost them less money not to harvest and have it go just to seed or to fallow, as opposed to taking a loss on the amount of money that they would get for crops. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. But the thing that, in our neighborhood anyway, I can't really speak to the farming situation, that's been to me the most alarming is the coyotes. And I know they've always been there. We've seen them and heard them from the time that we moved to Argyle. But all along the river valley and the ravine, there are stories of groups of them, up to four or five, that are getting really bold, going so far as to snatch smaller dogs in the middle of the day while on leash. That's not normal behavior. And to look at these coyotes, it's not because they're having a hard time. They are really well fed and juicy. There have been several incidents over the last two years, especially where we've been out in the winter on our nightly dog walk, where we've had to make a U-turn, find a different route, or cut short the walk because we ran into coyotes. One morning last winter, Luna and I startled at least four of them, and they all mercifully took off in different directions away from us, but we turned around and I waited till daylight to take her out again. A few times, Daphne and I were followed for a block or so before they either bored of us or there were cars that drove by and scared them off. But a few weeks ago, I ended up in a standoff with just the boulevard between us. Coyote on the road, me holding Luna on the sidewalk, eye to eye. I was trying to be big and loud and scary, but he was having none of it. Thank goodness two ladies came running down the street with what sounded like little air horns and a big white dog named Poncho, and they ran him off. A week after that, Chris spotted two of them across the road on the sledding hill. One just ambled past us, heading in the other direction, but the second one watched us for a good long while. And as soon as Chris put Luna down, who I had scooped up and given to him as soon as he spotted the coyotes, he took off after us. Again, fortunately, a car came by and slowed down and must have spooked him but he seemed pretty intent on having a little fluffy snack. In the Nutrition Month episode this year, we talked a little about coyotes and what the U of A experts said to do, which is act big and loud, throw things at them, and don't back down. Well, that isn't working anymore. Coyotes are in people's backyards, people in the off-leash area in the ravine getting their little dogs eaten, and bold ones walking down the streets like they own them. 
Daphne said that they saw two of them in our front yard. And I get that we're in their territory, but Argyle is over 50 years old. It's not like this is a new part of their turf and that they're having to battle over it. It's all just a bit crazy. I've taken to walking with the hiking pole so that at least I have something to flail around and hopefully whack one with, but I don't really relish that ever happening. I'm not sure that my pole is a match for one of those apparently on steroids versions of the coyotes that we have these days. They make Wiley look positively mangy. So I don't know what's going on. Well, yeah, I think I do. The earth is on fire, and there are all kinds of signs to prove it. In some cases, actual fire. Europe was on fire, BC was on fire, again. The heat waves and records are being smashed annually. This September was the second warmest on record, second only to last year. The third warmest was a couple of years ago. Glaciers are melting at a pace never seen before. Meltwater potentially releasing the chemicals that have been banned for decades, but that are coming back to bite us. DDT and goodness only knows what else. When we were driving to Galliano this summer, I commented to someone that it seemed so weirdly surreal. There was, and still is, a war raging in the Ukraine. The utility prices in the UK are set to triple in the new year. Species are disappearing daily. Biodiversity loss is happening at unprecedented rates. And there we were, doop-dee-doo, driving on a family vacation. I don't know what else a person could have done. I guess you can go all doomsday prepper, but then what? I can say with absolute certainty that I have no desire to be one of the people fighting apocalyptic zombies or whatever in a bid to re-establish or repopulate the world. No thanks. I think though that Sir David Attenborough is right. In fact, I have to believe that he is right. And that if we all did more than just not chew straws or bring our own grocery bags, but actually did the hard stuff, put in solar panels, drive less, fly less, eat less, buy less, and think about every single purchase that we made and the effects that they're having on the world writ large, that we could help to make things better. That we could give the earth the time it needed to heal itself. If we could get used to having enough instead of always wanting more, maybe the robins and the worms would have a chance. And the opportunists, the crows and the magpies and the coyotes would get a run for their money. Maybe if we didn't feel the need to have all the stuff and go to Disneyland or some all-inclusive every year or fill the entirety of the circumference of the Christmas tree with gifts, we might be able to stop the consumer garbage that is filling the landfills and the oceans. Maybe if we started thinking about how we can pay people across the globe equitably so that they could get their quality of life to a place significantly above subsistence, we would see what the economists and sociologists have predicted would happen. Population growth would level out, and the petri dish, that is Earth, would stop polluting itself with waste to the point that the only possible outcome is total colony collapse. Let's educate girls and women and see what they can do for economies. Let's stop marginalizing people by sending them our garbage, our dirty factories, and taking their resources. It's going to take more than just buying shampoo bars and wish cycling. It's going to take a concerted effort by every person, every level of government, and every nation if we're going to win this battle. The odds are pretty stacked against us, but it's us who dealt us this hand. So it's going to have to be us who fixes it together. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.